real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Uh, today is, well, if it wasn't a leap year, it would be the last day of February. So we've got an extended one. It actually ends tomorrow, but it's Friday. And March is going to pick up speed. Uh, you are going to see the week next week fly by. You're going to be like, wait a minute. It was just Monday. There is going to be so much going on. <laughs> You're going to find it really, really, really hard to slow things down. Now, one thing I wanted to um, point out uh, to people is um, the news cycle is showing the truth of where these people are in regards to how they feel about humanity in general. And I say this in the sense that they hate you. They really, really hate you. You know, it was only about uh, two years to the almost date where um, there was broad news about um, a drug. A drug, uh, late stage trials on uh, Japanese and American flu patients um, that it was supposed to eradicate the flu. It was like they were like, yep, it's, it's going to be, it's going to annihilate the flu. No one's going to get the flu. And this experiment, um, you know, the, where they were testing this drug was in Japan. And it was said that it would be introduced in uh, 2019, available to the United States. Now, the late stage trial involved both Japanese and American flu patients. And they found that those that took the Shionogi compound, which was um, a medication for it, the virus was eliminated with, within 24 hours. Um, that is a lot faster than any influenza um, drugs on the market like Tamiflu, uh, which is actually, it doesn't even work, okay? Tamiflu is is a shot in the dark. It's um, uh, Oseltamivir phosphate, and you have to like take two doses of it for a certain period of time, you know, so that way you can get the concentration within your system to attack a viral strain, not necessarily the flu. It could probably take care of HPV too, but you know, I digress on that one. And um, it will contain the symptoms, but not eradicate the flu. The, the, um, the uh, Tamiflu that you know, the Roche, right? And um, the Shionogi, both were acquired, um, both have acquired the ability to push this new anti-flu drug. And now uh, there are many, many people that are testing new ways of treating, um, you know, the flu, uh, influenza A and other variants, kind of like the avian flu, H1N1, etc., 
So I say this to you that it was in February two years ago when all this was being put out saying that, you know, there's a, you know, hey, there's a pill that people can take and it'll eradicate the flu within 24 hours. Look, the flu makes you really, really tired because it takes your body to get together the soldiers in place of your, you know, immune system because your B cells don't really kill viruses. They're your frontliners. They're like your foot soldiers. Your T cells of your immune system are the ones that learn what the infector is and then they go to school, right? They get trained in your spleen and then they come out the other end like super trained and they're like stealthy commandos. And this is why... Your symptoms, um, you know, peak and then drop when that happens. This is why there's like an incubation period and then where it comes out. If the incubation period is short um, and the symptoms are extreme, obviously you die before your T cells can can learn because they take an average of three to seven days um, in regards to time to get it done. Anyway, I just want you guys to know that the company that made this supposed medication, the compound to eradicate the flu within like 24 hours is the same one that created it's built actually now listen to this this is is really important you guys these anti-flu medications are the same type of the anti-hiv medications so i want you guys to understand that these anti-hiv medications are as effective on the flu as well so Um, The flu virus, like I told you, is to replicate, you know, it like inserts its RNA, starts telling your cell, make more of my viruses. And then it explodes with all these other little, you know, robot injectors that inject all your cells, right? Well, you know, the, the way they've tried to do it is by containing... You know, when they when the when the hijacker just sits on the cell and it injects, just picture it injecting that code so your cell can decode and it can recode it and create more it doesn't allow it to explode because there's so many that you know it it doesn't allow it to explode and some of these medications target the ability for your cell to actually decode um, messages which means the cell redundant anyway I don't know if I really want to mess with that right guys uh, our bodies are pretty awesome but uh the US FDA <clears throat> had received their application to make it go live in 2018, and there's still no response on that application. I just wanted to say it. So now um, we see that the coronavirus that started in 2019 uh, was just like your bird flu, H1N1 flu. It's just a flu, okay? A flu. Cough in your arm, wash your hands. And just pump up the vitamin C, period, right? I'm pretty sure a lot of you that were sick, you know, a couple months ago probably had it. You know, that cold that you couldn't get away until until I told you to go eat a bag of cuties. But I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> it's simple. But what you don't seem to understand is that the purpose of this flu and its timing was not just to create a notion of a pandemic and a scare that everyone's going to die. We're all going to die. You know, it was initially done so to cause harm to Chinese American relations. And how this was done was by manifesting first. 
Second, kills a little bit of the market. Third, they wanted to push racism. This was supposed to be a, oh my gosh, you're totally racist against the Chinese. You're totally doing this. This is why Pelosi went to Chinatown. I Look at it come up. It's coming again because it's already hit Europe two weeks ago. So since it worked there, it's going to work here. Concentration camps. Chinese, you want to work with Trump. You watch what we're going to do to your people. You watch how it's going to hurt. You're going to sit there and work with him. When we created you, we gave you communist China and you turn your back on us and you're working with this clown. Okay. We got this. They say, so you want to get a little bit of taste of what it's like to say, you know, now they're experiencing racism because of the flu, because it's it's all over the news in Europe. I mean, the coronavirus has unleashed anti-Asian racism around the world. And it doesn't help when Milwaukee police, you know, in Wisconsin are telling people that do meth, hey, because some of your meth comes from China, you could bring it into the to, to the police station. <laughs> I'm laughing just saying this because it's like, what kind of meth user is going to be like, here's my crystal meth. Can you check it for coronavirus? They're like, yep, free of coronavirus, but you're arrested for having this. I'm just saying. So that's what they said, that your meth may have coronavirus. Um, so now they're trying to infer that the virus can survive in your drugs. So I want you guys um, to take a listen uh, to German public broadcast about how this is unleashing anti-Asian racism around the world. In Paris's Chinatown. These elaborate costumes were meant for the annual Chinese New Year parade that draws thousands of spectators. But for the first time, the event was called off this year. Sun Le Tan, who's a regular participant, blames the coronavirus and the stigma it's fueled. The parade was cancelled not out of fear of the coronavirus, but the fear of children being stigmatised. We've been told that Asian children are coming back from school crying because they were singled out and made fun of. They were insulted and called names. So we didn't feel like celebrating. It's been very tough. Sun Le Tan grew up in this neighbourhood, a melting pot known for its 1960s high-rise apartment blocks and dozens of East Asian stores and restaurants. The Frenchman is of Chinese and Cambodian descent and says he'd never really experienced racism openly in Paris until a week ago. I took the metro and as I sat down, the person next to me got up and moved away. And then he covered his mouth and nose with a scarf. I realised it was a form of xenophobia and fear. I was sad and shocked. It's far from being an isolated case. Accounts of prejudice, avoidance and slurs are piling up in France, stoking unease. Here in southeastern Paris, the city's main Chinatown, which is home to large numbers of France's Asian community, the usually bustling neighborhood seems a bit subdued. Many residents are wary of speaking on camera, but some are clearly rattled by incidents of racist abuse amid fears of the coronavirus. 
A friend of mine who's Asian was taunted and called a virus in the metro. That's not very nice. Our customers wanted to know if our waiters had Chinese nationality, even though ours is a Vietnamese restaurant. Seeing Asian faces didn't reassure them. This epidemic has really given free reign to racism against Asians, something which in France is not really talked about and not taken seriously. The issue has reverberated across the French media, here on the banks of the River Seine. Journalist Lynn Landau has been following accounts by French Asians of being targeted, using the now popular hashtag, I am not a virus. It looks like it's in the French train. She has long campaigned against anti-Asian racism in France, but nothing prepared her for these responses to an article on the coronavirus in China. She translates into English. You shouldn't have eaten weird beasts. Uh, this is normal. They would eat anything in that country. The country is overcrowded. So nature is doing its work. This is horrible. Like people, they they have no empathy. We're just talking about sick people, and then they would say, say racist things like that. The virus is just a pretext to to be hateful. Lin Landau has been speaking out against the hate, on talk shows and on social media. She's also hit out at sections of her own profession. For example, for this inflammatory headline in a local newspaper, warning of a yellow alert. So far, France has recorded only a few cases of the coronavirus. If the numbers go up, the fear is that prejudice could spread just as fast. As cases of coronavirus increase around the world, so does the racism accompanying it. From across the globe, in countries as far apart as Australia and Canada, and others in between, such as Malaysia and Indonesia, people of Chinese origin have reported facing discrimination and verbal attacks, all out of fear that because of their Chinese heritage, they could spread the virus. Such as this Australian doctor who claimed a patient made jokes about not shaking her hand because of fears over the coronavirus. She ended her tweet with, this is racism. <laughs> In Hong Kong, a Japanese noodle shop posted this sign outside, which essentially means we don't accept people from mainland. We want to live a little longer. Here in Germany, some people are outraged over this cover the magazine Der Spiegel came up with on the coronavirus story. A journalist. Okay, Der Spiegel had a picture of someone in a hazmat suit checking their phone with a respirator and it has made in China. Listen, guys, <laughs> if this virus was made in China, what do we know about Chinese products? They don't last long. So I'm trying to show you guys where Chuck Schumer's deleted tweet came from because this was a report and it was making rounds all over Europe on February 10th. When he had sent that tweet out, how there's racism, you know, no crisis left untouched, right, guys? Because that's what they were going to do. I mean, this is just the flu. And is it going to affect us? Like, really? I'm just saying, like, really? Is it really going to affect us? It aged like a $2 wine, hence why he had deleted it after he posted it. And it says the premature travel ban to and from China by the current administration is just an excuse to further his ongoing war against immigrants. There must be a check and balance to these restrictions. Uh, you mean, 
how everyone is trying to promote Asian racism. Remember that video that was going around about that Asian man in San Fran where he was being attacked by some people because he was collecting, you know, empty cans to make a living. So oh, this poor man was just collecting cans in a bad neighborhood and they were attacking him and he's crying. No, this was them trying to invoke racism. And the thing is, the most racist people are the people on the left. Those that are tolerant, those that hate President Trump, those that say, I don't like him. Let me tell you what happened this morning. I, uh, my daughter, I was taking her to school. She has half a day and she's like, uh, she's like, Hey mom, um, you have some quarters on the dash. Do you mind if I pop out to Dunkin' Donuts? I want to get myself a donut. So she grabs a couple quarters, goes in and she texts me. She's like, Oh my gosh, the line is long. And I was like, Whoa, are we going to be late for school? She goes, no. Then she texts me. Oh my gosh, mom, this black woman just told me to get my little white tush out of the line and I was like what I mean did the employee tell you that and she's like no and then she started telling me how her grandfather was uh you know a slave and and you know think about it she did nothing she's there ready for school right she still has her backpack on because that's like my pet peeve wear your backpack because I'm not going to wait for you 20 hours to get your stuff together to get out of the car when I drop you off. Cause I hate being that parent where my kid takes a hundred hours and my kid is like super, it's like they go in slow motion when you, you know, you're like, okay, go now. And it's like slow motion. So she was still wearing her backpack when she went in there. She's a little kid and she, <laughs> she was attacked for just existing racism. So I think they realized that if they took the racism card and tried to apply it in the United States, it may as well backfire because it's all their constituents that are going to be doing that. Uh, you know, maybe this is why Pelosi went down to Chinatown. Oh, yeah, you know, we love you. We know you're Chinese, but doesn't mean you have the virus. And let's see how we can materialize this into a movement of an administration that's racist. But, you know, President Trump... A stop that he was like well it's just a flu man wash your hands cough in your arm no big deal but you know what around the world listen to this i guess it's really upsetting um and it feels hurtful that people see me as a threat heidi chow was on a train in london last week with her husband and children when she noticed a man leave the empty carriage they were on to move to another one but because i look chinese or from east asia therefore i must have the coronavirus and um, yeah, so it's quite hurtful to think that people are thinking that of me when I go into a room or when I go into a, onto public transport. She says the same thing has happened to her a number of times in the past few weeks, with people trying to avoid her in public spaces. The risk of me getting, having coronavirus is the same as any other non-Chinese person um, in London or in the UK, because I haven't been to China in the last two weeks. In fact, I've, never, I've only been to China probably a, for a day trip 25 years ago. As international concern over the coronavirus grows, it's fueling reports of discrimination against Chinese people, including here in Europe. It's led the UN to speak out on the issue, saying no amount of fear can excuse hatred. The UK government has also urged people to avoid any hysteria. The rejection that this whole house demonstrates to any racism, and insensitivity towards the Chinese community here or indeed uh, visitors um, here of Chinese origin uh, because that will not help us tackle this disease. 
Some members of the UK's Chinese community say they've witnessed the rise in racist behaviour recently that's coincided with the spread of this outbreak. But many also say this isn't anything new. It seems dealing with racism has become a normal part of life for some East Asians, even those who were born and raised in this country. For 20 years, Dr. Diana Ye has been studying the history of Chinese people on these shores. She says the coronavirus has been racialized as something specifically linked to China. I think we've seen this time and time again throughout history. Um, there's always been a kind of latent racism, I would say, against the Chinese in Britain as um, globally, um, with yellow peril from the 19th century um, straight up to, you know, we can think about SARS 2003. Social media is also playing a role in France and other parts of Europe where cases of racism have been reported. The hashtag I'm not a virus has led to shows of support for victims of sinophobia. It's playing um, as an evil role in terms of spreading fear as it is in creating forms of solidarity. With cases of the virus now reaching the tens of thousands, focus is on containing this deadly disease. But thousands of miles away, even those with no symptoms are feeling the effects. I guess it's really... So, racism. Here we go, racism card. Here we go, racism. And you know what? Elizabeth... <laughs> said it best uh you know what what we need to do we're not prepared this is how we're going to protect america we're going to defund that wall and we're going to pour it into coronavirus research wait a minute what um so if we don't want infected people coming in we should not build a wall not protect our borders do you see the insanity you're safe every single one of you are safe this is a normal flu this is a normal flu. And remember, they've been experimenting with viral drugs. Now, uh, like I've said before, every nation that produces their own uh, antivirals or vaccines in general, they use certain vector cells, right? And I've said many, many times again, and many people now are waking up those Christians that are like, anti-vaxxers, you're so dumb. Yeah, but you know, they're using baby, aborted baby cells to give you vaccines. And those Aborted baby cells still have DNA no matter how you strip it. And that DNA is inserted into you, like it or not. And you have part of a dead baby in your code. Your body is not going to be like, well, you know, it's not my DNA, so I'm going to get rid of it. Because if that was the case, then women who are negative or res is negative when they're pregnant, do you know that they can actually abort their own child if the child is res positive? I, I kid you not. This is, uh, as me being one of the rarest blonde, I can tell you that. Um, and positive babies usually don't make it. They give the mother like an anti-resist shot, anti-D shot as they call, um, you know, so that way they can maintain the pregnancy because that DNA incorporates to you. And obviously when it's a, you know, you have an allergic reaction basically to the baby, kind of like you would if you got, you know, uh, blood that was, you know, resist positive and you're negative or bald, you know? So this is in essence, what the whole science behind this is, is that 
every nation picks their own vector cells. And the media pushing this bat snakes theory was bizarre. Like I was like, you can't get a virus from eating something. Oh my gosh. You can only get bacterial infections or parasites from eating something, not a virus. Like, and the thing is, is that not everyone has gone to school, you know, completed education or understands virology or molecular biology to say that's just so dumb. But yet there we are people saying, oh no, they're eating bats and snakes. No, man, (laughs) these are specific. These are activation trigger specific. And hopefully they wanted to weaponize it at racism. It'll come later. It'll come later because apparently a vaccine's coming out and everyone's pissed off that president trump isn't saying everyone's mandated to get this vaccine or doesn't say that the vaccine will work because guess what every single flu vaccine you get now the cdc can't say it'll work it's like we don't know if it'll work it's a shot in the dark Uh, the one thing we do know is is that people that do get flu vaccines every year are most likely to get the flu remember how many reports came out last year saying that the the victims that passed away from the flu last year all had the flu vaccine. So when I hear, oh, we're going to have a flu vaccine made, it's like, boy, everyone's so dumb. They're just going to march down there and get it. And it's like, your body is awesome. Have faith in God. You're safe. No one is going to harm you. Your body can fight it. And if it's your time to go, you go. I mean, that's the life cycle. But using God knows what and putting it in your body for supposedly to save you, is not the right path to go. I'm just saying, that's my opinion. You're free to do as you wish. But I'm just telling you the science behind it. You know, there's a reason they don't put the ingredients on vaccines for you to read. I'll see you in a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Before we um, kick over to concerns about economic, um, you know, the turmoil that we're having, thanks, Federal Reserve, and, uh, you know, everything else in between for coronavirus that we should be talking about, I wanted to tell you guys just how stupid we look on the world platform. Now, I was raised, you know, every summer hanging out with my family in Greece and there alcohol isn't seen as, you know, something forbidden as it is in the US. My grandfather would pour me and my all my cousins around the table wine. I I always had a little glass of wine. It's like these short tumbler glasses with wine with my food. Beer was a beverage that you would have with like fries or, you know, meat. It was a beverage. So one of the lightest beverages that I liked in the summer was a Corona beer. And I would put a slice of lime in it. It's like watered down beer, right? Because I'm more of an Amstel original, which we don't have in the U.S., by the way, um, or Heineken. Right. And so those are my two like go to beverages. I don't even see it as alcohol. If I go out and I'm having a meal, I I don't drink much. So it would be like, you know, I'd probably. Yeah, it's a waste of money because it's only like for the taste of it. Right. Anyway. 
apparently 38% drop in sales of Corona beer, you guys, because of coronavirus. Like, how dumb do we do we look? Like CNN and all these people are advising us, oh, just so you know, you know, the coronavirus isn't linked to the beer. Like, I kid you not, CNN literally put that. CNN said 38% of Americans wouldn't buy Corona beer under any circumstances because of the coronavirus, according to a recent survey. Just to be abundantly clear, there's no link between the virus and the beer. Are we kidding? We need someone to tell us this? Is this a joke? They're making us look crazy and stupid. And now, you know, obviously, the Dow Jones is suffering its worst week since 2008 as coronavirus really thanks Federal Reserve. So, uh, you know, it's pretty incredible what we are seeing come out of this. Larry Kudlow addressed the economic concerns over the coronavirus. I want you guys to hear this. Um. But I just think everybody, whether you're an investor or whether you're, you know, ordinary Main Street person, people should not overreact. That's the important thing. They should not overreact. This is, in America, we have an incredibly strong public health system. And as I said to Stu Varney, the president has taken rapid fire unprecedented actions to to help protect in the event of emergency or you know further deterioration i think these are very good things they're very constructive things there's on wall street for several days now that the president would consider more extreme measures to respond to this potentially even up to suspending the tariffs on china as one emergency measure due to the virus is the president considering that or any other response measure here? um amen there's Nothing definite that I can report. There's a lot of conversations um, in and out of the Oval Office. I was with him yesterday for quite a while talking about one thing or another. Um, we're dealing with this almost a day at a time, and um, we, we have no precipitous actions right now. I, again, you know, <laughs> it's sometimes a hard case to make in the middle of one of these crises, which is part psychology and part fact, but... Um, I just don't think anybody ought to panic right now. And uh, we are going to stay the course on our policies, uh, tax cuts and deregulation and energy and trade. You know, and, and it's worked. We, it's worked and, and the economy is sound. Um, I'm actually still watching China. China. People have moved from China to Italy or other places. But I'm still watching China. And uh, I, I've gotten to know Tim Cook very well. CEO of Apple. He's a brilliant man. And I was just really interested in the interview with him yesterday because he was rather optimistic about reopening factories. And I guess the Starbucks people put the same way. And the other thing is, Eamon, just on the economic stock market point, um, it may change and it may worsen. But right now, these sort of um, real-time Fed, you know, these regional bank surveys, people should pay attention to them. They're sending off uh, good signals on the economy. And the numbers we have in hand in January exceeded expectations. That's why that Atlanta Fed thing is at 2.7. Now, we've got another month to go for the quarter and then after that. So we will see. But no, I don't think we're going to take any precipitous policy moves here, at least not at the present time. Larry, over how the much, Larry, more, shot, Larry, the how much more shot can this, can this market take before there's long-term effects on the economy? What do you think? Keep you in your life. 
Well, yeah, thank you. Um, look, the, the market in the markets has short run correction, and I guess it's um, ten or eleven percent or something. Uh, we've been through this many, many times before. And I, I don't think, even though it's a front-page story and nobody likes to see their asset values go down, um, I just don't think at this point it's going to have much of an impact. And I, I'll qualify that. depends how long this lasts. depends how you know, deep it goes. But um, I, I could cite a number of historical experiences. The one I remember the most, remember I was a Reagan Cub Scout way back when, and... Um, I remember the 1987 market uh, uh, crash, and I remember President Reagan going up and saying the economy is fundamentally sound, and actually the economy grew by 3 4% for the next couple of years after that crash. And I think President Trump said it uh, here in this room uh, two nights ago. Um, we just think the economy is sound, and therefore, I just don't think this short-term stock market plunge is going to have any long-term effect. Yeah. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. Yes, Deborah. Um, if you had a friend who was thinking of taking a cruise or going to China, what advice would you give them? Stay home. Larry. 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 Uh, what effect do you think this will have on the president's re-election campaign? Uh, I think the way he's handling this will have a very positive effect on his re-election campaign. I think that. Uh, so I'm a longtime Trump friend and watcher, and now, of course, the last couple of years I've been working with him, for him. Uh, I think it was one of his best news conferences I've ever seen him give, and he laid it out. Again, really historic and unprecedented actions, and this is a government-wide effort. And so I think folks are going to look at that and say, you know what, he was doing his job very well. And I think, therefore, at the end of the day, it's going to actually... Uh, help him on that. Larry. Yes, sir. What emergency powers does the administration have to ramp up domestic production of the N95 masks and other personal protection equipment? I wouldn't want to go into specifics. There are things we can do to help. There are things we can do to unclog uh, log jams if they exist. I just don't want to go into any uh, details uh, on that right Larry, now. Larry, just a Larry, couple Larry. more. Yes, ma'am. Can you help uh, clear up some confusion about communications having to be funneled through the vice president's office? There are many officials who are saying that is what has to happen, but on the record, the vice president's office has denied that. So can you clarify, do government agencies need to clear their coronavirus communications through the vice president's office? There's a lot. Look, <laughs> we always have coordination here. Always. All right. The, the NEC has to clear things. The president is the ultimate clearance authority. The vice president's running this task force. We're just trying to coordinate our messages. It's a government-wide operation, and that's not an easy thing to do. I will say to you, though, no one's being stifled. No one's being told what to say. Look, you've got veterans. Again, I come back to this point. You've got veterans in NIH and CDC with the immense uh, uh, knowledge of these things. They've been through this before. And we are all ears. We want to hear what they have to say. We want to hear what they tell us. So um, there's a big difference between stifling and coordinating. And I think you have to coordinate. It's a big, it's a big government. So, no, I don't see a problem there at all. I don't see anything wrong with well, that whatsoever. Okay, now let's all give the Democrats... 
a round of applause because using health is the only way you can make him say and do what you want him to do because this is exactly what they did. It's not like he's going to mock, uh, you know, health. It's not like he's going to be like, oh, this is just a hoax. He can't do that. He can't do that, especially when it's just a flu and, you know, they can name it the death stare or the death ray flu and, you know, suddenly everybody panics. So this was supposed to be a tool for racism. This was supposed to be a divisive tool and this was a tool to punish the companies that were helping with the economic growth because now the deals we made with China is like, here's our soybeans, give us, we can't take that, us, because you got coronavirus. So they got stifled in it. They're really getting hurt, the Chinese. And the Federal Reserve isn't helping, but that's okay. It can still keep playing around because it ain't going to be nothing, as they say, (laughs) by the end of 2020. It's going to be nothing. So let it be, let it be, because this fiat currency is going out the window. And so no matter how much they try, they topple the market, they're attacking it. It's going to bite them right back in the tush as they buy time for another coup. Coup number two was supposed to be this health scare to make him look like he can't do anything. And now they're upset that he's not going to mandate vaccinations. Because like I told you, H1N1 was a flu in China in 2008. In 2008, as developing the vaccine for the flu season of 2009, I was actually part of that team. And I wrote in my report, I find that using porcine cells, here we go, pork cells, to use the serums and to help inoculate patients will actually make them more susceptible to having the H1N1. And lo and behold, H1N1. Everybody had it in September and October of 2009, which is what I'm predicting now is that Everybody who gets vaccines will indeed die from the coronavirus September and October 2020 before the elections, making it their October surprise. And you know what? The most vulnerable people are going to be the ones that are going to be exiting. You know, the elderly, where every single time they go to the hospital, did you get your flu shot? Let me give you your flu shot today. Did you get your pneumonia shot? Let me give you your pneumonia shot today. All they do is pump them with vaccines that don't work. They just get sick. So you watch. This is the long. This is their. This is the long bet. The short bet was racism. Racism make him look nuts. He's gonna bite. He didn't bite. No matter how hard they pushed and they tried to pr- pluck at him and uh, you know ankle him. Come on, say something. We're talking smack. And I know you have us dead to rights, but we're still talking smack. Say something. And he didn't. Uh, it didn't work, did it? So here we are, moving along. And now uh, the coronavirus is going to be forgotten soon until the vaccine comes out. Lo and behold, we have a vaccine and it's going to work. And then everybody goes and gets vaccinated and everybody's sick when school opens up and everybody goes back to work as normal. And the weather starts to get what? Cold and people start to bundle up and the weather changes and a simple cold will turn into chaos. Watch. That's how it's going to happen. Now let's listen to Doug Collins breaking down the congressional reaction to the coronavirus. 
Coronavirus a, few, a short time ago, as lawmakers consider a multi-billion-dollar spending bill for resources to battle the outbreak. Our next guest attended that briefing, just walked out of it. Congressman Doug Collins is ranking member of the Judiciary Committee and a candidate for the U.S. Senate, and joins us now. Congressman, good morning. Right, it's good to see you. Nick. So, what did you learn in that update? Well, I learned that there's uh, a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of moving parts, and that the administration is, is moving forward with not only requesting funding, getting the proper procedures in place, but also tackling a virus that, remember, when it was first reported out of China, was as a more of a pneumonia, was not uh, considered this virus. So we're, we're now catching up. They're, they're working out, the world is looking at it. But what I found out is our public health uh, clinicians all across this country are some of our best advocates. Yes, they've caught many of these uh, symptoms and conditions. They know what they're looking for. We're working to get the testing kits. There's been over 40,000 tested at ports of entry. We we look at these and going forward so we can be assured that the uh, virus is being contained as best as possible and even looking at the issues that we I know was discussed earlier about the one case in which there doesn't seem to be a connection um, those are things that they're looking at right now so I think the emphasis right now is is for people to to be precautious if they have symptoms go to the doctors the doctors are getting new protocols from CDC so that they know what to look for and I think that's the most important thing that I can attribute to the American people right now is that it is being looked at take every proper precaution use the normal precautions that we have for health in a profession Places, but not to panic. I think that's the biggest thing to look at. Well, and that's what we've seen play out in markets this week. Just so much uncertainty has led to the continued uh, sell-off that we're seeing. It, it looks like we're on pace for another 500-point drop at least on the opening bell this morning, Congressman. So how do you calm those fears? I mean, it, there are calls for unity for both sides of the aisle to tone down the rhetoric so that we can tackle this uh, outbreak together. Are, did you get a sense from that briefing a short time ago that Republicans and Democrats will work together on this? Well, before he answers, think about what your answer would be. Do you think that that's exactly what's going on? That they are all for let's, you know, let's work together and cure this virus. Let's get together and make sure that, you know, the people are safe. Let's find a solution together because, you know, we're Americans. And at the end of the day, we're supposed to be looking after our people together. Do you think that's the response that, um, you know, was received? I don't know. I don't think so. I do not think so. So, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible, uh, to see, uh, the responses from the left and the right not being on the same page and pretty much attacking the administration politicizing disease because, you know, what's not to like about a good crisis, right? Let's take a listen to what Doug Collins said in that response. Let's let's hear him. Democrats will work together on this. I believe we will. It's like everything else. We'll try pretty much everything else and then come together and do what's right in the end, as the old saying goes. But I think the problem is right now is there is a lot of political contention here. There is still a lot of sniping at the president. A lot of uh, there's still the, the hill is still very contentious right now. But I will say this. There was a coming together to ask very basic questions. How is the testing being done? Are we working to make sure our, prote- our workers in the airports are protected? Are we working to make sure that the doctors have the information they need? And I think when we start looking at that, I think you're going to see the resources come in, the, in, in a very short time. You're going to see the, the protection. But again, markets are reacting to also something different, not necessarily the virus. Here, they're reacting to market conditions in places where our supply chains are, are mm. affected. So you're going to see that, that. So that's not a surprise when you have tech companies and others who have uh, supply chains in uh, Southeast Asia, China, and others. Those are going to be affected, Japan and Korea. So there's going to be a short-term effect here. I think if we can get this under control, you'll see that pick back up in third and fourth.
fourth quarter probably or second. But right now there's just this, let's get a handle on what's actually happening. Uh, you have been at CPAC talking about FISA. You were on the stage yesterday. Um, Fox News is reporting that Congress might try to attach short, the short-term FISA renewal to coronavirus funding. <laughs> what is the discussion there, and was anything talked about in that briefing this morning on that? No, there's nothing on that part, and, and I've heard the rumors of that as well. I would not recommend that. I think the FISA issue is something that needs to be separate. It's something that has is, is tore up Capitol Hill for a long time, especially as we saw through the investigations and through Mueller and through the impeachment. Uh, you know, those are the kind of things that we need to deal with because we don't want ever want this to happen to not only this president, but any president. And I think the sham impeachment, everything that we saw going through that actually showed that. So that needs to be separate. My hope is they would not be put together. We'll see how that has to go forward. My hope is we'll get the coronavirus money to where it needs to go, depoliticize, then let's depoliticize the Department of Justice and the FISA courts by working on real reforms there. We appreciate you walking out of that meeting and going straight to that camera to give us an update and our viewers. Congressman, thank you. All right. So coronavirus FISA. Let's talk FISA for a second. You remember we were here on air together, right, uh, in December, talking about how the Democrats snuck in that little section that extended the sunset clause on the Patriot Act. Remember, happened in the beginning of December, which extended it for what? Another 90 days, right? Another three months. Well, that sunset clause expires, uh, expires March 15th. So the question is, why are they trying to marry the two? First of all, they want to put, they want to, first of all, rewrite the, 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 the spying. <laughs> they want to make it legal again and they want to put it in another form. Uh, this is something that they're pushing forward to. This is incredible, you guys. This is horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And the fact is, we have people on the left and people on the right pushing for it. That they want to renew the sunset clause. I'm shocked. And while they want to renew the sunset clause, here we have, you know, <sighs> Elizabeth Warren putting out this really sad bill saying we're going to defund the wall and take that money and put it into coronavirus research because nothing says secure from letting sick people in than opening up your borders. You know, sounds pretty crazy. But what we really need to worry about is people like Mini Mike, who were able to buy the house with a hundred million, and you know all these rich people that want to kneel this administration down, flexing their money muscles to influence our health. This is a very serious statement and something very serious everyone should consider, because I'm seeing that now Walmart. Walmart, where you buy, that's where you go to buy cheap stuff, right? Like if I'm, you know, mass baking or mass cooking for like, uh, you know, the church or anything else, I'm going to go to Walmart because, you know, if I have to feed a hundred people, I'm not going to go and get artisan, you know, pasta and, you know, Kobe beef. <laughs> Uh, well, I would if I had the money. I'm going to go to Walmart. Uh, you know, when you go for staples in your in your cupboard, you don't go to Whole Foods and pay $3 for a can of chickpeas because you love making hummus. You're going to go to Walmart where you get it for less than a dollar. Uh, you want to make pork loin, you're not going to go to Whole Foods and pay $29.99 a pound. You're going to go to Walmart where you get a whole strip that's like, you know, five pounds worth with no 
limit and restriction on meat. I kid you not. That's like actually a real thing. Someone told me about it and I went to Whole Foods and said, I'd like six pounds of ground meat. I wasn't going to buy it because where was I going to put it? And uh, I asked for six pounds of ground beef and he said that they have a limit of five pounds of meat per customer. I was like, what? Anyway, but at Walmart, you could get whatever you want, right? So a big long one will cost you like a long strip, you know, pork loin is like 10 bucks at Walmart. Um, Obviously, you're getting 10 bucks worth of quality, but you know, it's a pork loin that you're going to strip down and stuff anyway and make it all good, right? But, oh gosh, I'm getting hungry. (laughs) It's lunchtime, isn't it? So... These, this, this chain of cheap food and, you know, if you buy clothes from there, they're usually from China, don't last long, is now opening up clinics to, you know, treat cold and flu, give you vaccines and stuff like that. It's like, stop. I mean, I was a little bit uncomfortable seeing that eyeglass exams were being done in Target and Costco, you know, but they still maintain that lens crafter thing. But now we're going to have a doctor at a Walmart clinic? Oh, no. This means everyone is going to be getting mass vaccinated and treated. You know, I don't know if I, I mentioned it to you guys. I know I mentioned it to my friends. But uh, a few days ago, I woke up from like a nightmare slash dream. And, <clears throat> oh, it was actually on a Sunday, I think. Oh, gosh, I don't remember. But it was this week. And... Apparently, I was in my dream walking into my building with my child and I was coughing and um, someone stopped me and said, you know, like collected me and was like, oh, you might have the, you know, you're sick. And I'm like, yeah. So smoker. um, Yes, I'm sick. Not coronavirus. And I cough, you know, when I don't smoke because I am trying to quit smoking. And so, you know, obviously you cough during the periods that you don't have a cigarette. And so, you know, I dreamt that they tested me and I was fine, but I was uncomfortable when they tried to test me by putting something up my nose because I was like, nope, why is there liquid in it? If you're just testing me, here's a Q-tip. Let me do it myself. I'll go as far back as you want me to until I cry. But no, because what I was worried about was that, oh no, I have a big mouth and I'm calling out the deep state. They're going to say that I'm sick and I'm going to die. They're going to make me sick. That was in my dream, right? It was just a dream. Um, But I, I foresee that happening in the fall where people are coughing and there's going to be like health police uh, because people will be getting sick because people are now panicked and this has been you know embedded in your mind as something that you need to panic about and you're going to see you know mass amounts of people going to get vaccinated and mass amounts of people getting sick all at the same time in the fall. Because of that, obviously, because we cluster more, right? And, you know, there's heating and whatnot. In the summer, it's not so easy uh, because of the weather and your body is able to, you know, adapt easier and you don't wear a lot of clothes. So you don't leave a lot of bodily fluids around, you know, and stuff like that. And you don't carry it around. So I'm telling you, this this coronavirus is like, you know, you got to hat tip them. But just know you're safe as long as you listen to your president. If the president doesn't say it's mandatory, don't do it if you don't want to. I mean, if you want to, do it. But I trust him and I trust his judgment. That's why I voted for him. And if he says I don't have to worry about it, that's what I'm taking to the bank. I'm not going to trust any of these other losers that have everything to lose 
you know, that, that have nothing else to lose, but just everything to gain, right? That's, that's where we're at right now. Um, and they're really trying and pushing. So this is what we need to keep in mind going forward as the news of these, um, these outbreaks come out that this maybe was just part of their really yucky plan. I mean, they had planned for years to frame him with Russia, Russia. So after the break, we'll talk about his lawsuit and how media institutions are now going to be hit with libel suits like nobody's business. Maybe that's the way we can spank them into doing their jobs. And we're going to talk Turkey, Russia, Greece. See you in a bit. Real news. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So we we should do a lot of talking and a lot of remembering. There's a lot of things I talk about. And, there, and for my listeners that know and are listening to me every day, know that I drop certain hints uh, right before things happen. And just a little while ago in CPAC, Pompeo talked about something I did, um, which is interesting. Um, and it's interesting to you, uh, cause we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on on the global scene in respects to our local politics. But before that, let's just like continue just a little bit more on this coronavirus, just a little bit more, just so that you can see the hoax in its entirety before we enter into the Russia, Russia hoax and see what is unfolding and why next week it's going to be like the whole week is on speed. Uh, you know, it's going to go in a blink of an eye and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, where did the week go? Oh, no. And it's probably because my birthday is coming and I'm so excited. So, um, well, no, I'm not actually. I'm going to be older and my eldest kid is far away. And, you know, she usually is the one that does the creative cakes for me. And um, she always um, gets me a cake with my birthday in in equations. So I, I usually post them on Instagram where she gets out this really complex equation that equals my birthday, which I love it. And, you know, she's not going to be with me. This is, this is probably the only birthday that I'm not away working and can't be with her. So it's, 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 it's a little bit sad. Um, for me, because I won't have my um, high order math cake, but, um, it's going to go fast. You guys, it's going to be almost instant. Uh, so now I, I just want to like continue a little bit on the coronavirus because I want you guys to into what Rick Scott said, okay, uh, who said that he wanted a 24-7 coronavirus hotline, which concerns me that he said that. Listen. Ooh, wait, you can't listen because I haven't... Um, connected that. There we go. Here's the Health the and Human Services Department sent workers to evaluate the first American Oops, wrong one. That was the next one. We want Rick Scott. Where's Rick Scott? Mm, there it is. Yeah, here it is. Americans evacuated from China to California without proper training or protective gear. The department responding back saying we take all whistleblower complaints very seriously. 
Okay, great. So this stupid clip that I pulled up gave you the second part of it. So we're going to have to talk about it now. So apparently there was a whistleblower. Oh my gosh, where do they come from? Saying that, you know, that, that there was, um, that the, that the, Health and Human Services handled the coronavirus patients without necessary training. Seriously, and are providing the complainant all uh, all appropriate protections under the Whistleblower Protection Act. We are evaluating the complaint and have nothing further to add at this time. Florida Senator Rick Scott is our headliner this morning and joins us now to react to all of that and what we're learning. Senator, good morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Boy, you hope that patient in California gets gets well. Um, it always scares you. I went through this with Zika down in Florida. And, you know, you what you want to do is you want to get as much information out to the public as you can. It's frustrating that communist China has not been very transparent. But this- OK, can we all see Rick Scott's true colors quickly? South Korea information, we're, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be more transparent. So we're going to learn a lot about incubation periods, infection rates, things like that, as we follow what happened, what's going on in South Korea. So I'm glad the President Trump appointed Vice President Pence. I think I wanted, I asked them to do an appoint person. So we've just got to now do everything we can to keep people informed. Senator, if I could get you to respond to, to what we're watching in the lower part of our screen there, we're, we're watching the Dow Jones Industrial Average. A snapshot of our markets, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, they are plunging this week, responding to the growing fears over the spread of this virus. Obviously, there's speculation it could get worse. Some say, like the president, it could miraculously disappear. Everyone is trying to assess the risk here at home and around the world. The Dow before today fell 10.5%. It's down another 4% this morning. How do we assess those risks? Well, the, the, the problem is, is that because China is not transparent, it's, it's hard. I think you have to don't be overconfident, prepare for the worst uh, and hope for the best. And that's why I've talked. I've been talking to all the federal agencies, the FDA. I said, you've got to be very clear what shortages of drugs or medical devices we're going to have. Uh, Homeland Security has got to say what sort of um, the, you know, things that consumers want. Are we going to have a shortage? How do we solve those shortages? The CDC needs to put up a 24-7 hotline to get information out to people so they can make way better informed decisions. And there's no, you know, there's, there, we're not dealing with rumors. And so I think all this, we've got to keep people informed, but we're going to get better information as we follow what happened in South Korea, I believe. So that's what you want the federal government to do. Uh, you're a former governor. Obviously, you mentioned your experience with the Zika. Uh, what lessons did you learn there that maybe could be applied here that you want our viewers to know, not just in Florida, but around the country about what they can be doing as well? I think get informed. Um, you know, the, you, need to, you need to understand exactly what's going on. Follow what the federal government is putting out. The federal government, I want, I want the CDC to do a 24-7 hotline because I think that will help. I think we need to, the federal government needs to be doing constant updates of what they do know. And if they don't know something, be very clear. Don't be overconfident, but tell people exactly what's going on. And people can, you know, Americans are smart. They're going to make good, informed decisions. But I'm, I'm getting phone calls. There's lots of rumors from uh, family, friends, citizens of my state. And I want the federal government to put more information out. I've asked them to do it. I believe they're going to do it. Uh, I think uh, Vice President pick, uh, Pence is a good pick. What do you think of the, the calls for more funding and more resources to be thrown at this? 
I think we have to do that. You know, we don't, who knows what the right number is right now. Uh, and it shouldn't be a fight about, it shouldn't be a political fight. We ought to, we ought to put up money and be very uh, comfortable that we're going to do supplemental, whatever number we give, if it doesn't, uh, if it's not enough, let's be ready to, to, to do more. I think the way the uh, vice, uh, the president asked for it through HHS, where they could allocate it, where Azar can allocate it, I think is really smart. That's the right way of doing it. So let's stay ahead of this um, and make sure we keep the public informed. And, and we got to keep everybody safe. And I, and I hope that the, the lady in California has a full recovery. Yeah, absolutely, sir. Uh, this is obviously happening in a broader context. You've seen some. We've got a presidential campaign uh, almost in full swing. South Carolina primary coming Saturday, Super Tuesday, quickly after that. Uh, the president has been frustrated at Democrats where you are in the Capitol attacking him and turning this political. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, I mean, this is not this is not political. You shouldn't. We we hope everybody you know is safe. We hope the federal government does their job. This is not about politics, and they shouldn't bring it. Politics shouldn't be part of this. I want. I mean, I, I represent everybody in my state. I want everybody in my state to be uh, to be safe. Um, and uh, so I hope I hope it doesn't come into you know everybody complaining about each other. So this is about keeping people healthy. Yeah, that campaign I mentioned, obviously, uh, Bernie Sanders' comments, he's now the front runner for the Democrats, as you know. Uh, he's been sort of defending his previous comments about Fidel Castro uh, and literacy, helping people read and write in Cuba. He's faced a lot of controversy. Here he is in the debate, and then I want you to react. What I said is what Barack Obama said in terms of Cuba that Cuba made progress on education. Yes, I think. Really? <clears throat> really? Yes, Literacy programs no are bad. What Barack Obama Barack said Obama is they made great progress on education and health care. That was Barack Obama. Your colleague, Congressman Diaz-Ballard, uh, putting out this. Okay, so we're going to stop it there because I can't stand the way Fox is gaslighting now. But, you know, I just wanted you to know that when Bernie was saying that stuff about Barack, uh, Pete was coming to his rescue. What? Don't talk about my, you know, I'm his understudy. You can't say things like that um, <clears throat> to his rescue. Now, so we had a whistleblower. Isn't it funny how they just pop up, how people weren't ready to deal with the flu? Alrighty then. That's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. So, for the for the past two weeks, I've been explaining to you the ownership of property on this planet, how it's distributed between these top 10. Just a couple days ago, I think it could have been Monday, I explained to you how the crown, you know, has a lot of interest and the majority of those are by the Falkland Islands. You guys remember where I was talking about Argentina and I was glad that he was down in Argentina. Uh, well... You know, it's really interesting, okay, because the Falkland Islands is the is the go-to place. Obviously, they have a natural resource that is very, very important, right? But what's most important is it's the port of entry, per se, um, uh, in regards to Antarctica. And just just earlier at CPAC, and I quote... President, I mean, Secretary of State Pompeo says, uh, you know, uh, was talking about how John Kerry would be flying around the world and having cocktail parties and stuff in France all the time. And he mocked, ah, this is what the left says, he mocked his trip to Antarctica, where he underscored the impact of climate change, saying he doesn't know who Kerry was negotiating with 
on that continent. Now, Antarctica is going to be coming into into play uh, 2021, right? Around May 2021. So it's kind of early. But the fact that, you know, he said that, you know, I don't know who he was negotiating with there is very interesting. And he's not the only one that went there. Barack Hussein Obama went there, too. Uh, but, you know, they caught him in Argentina where it's the stop off, the rest off where he was dancing. Do you guys remember that where he was dancing? Um, and I've always said that I want to go to Antarctica, right? Uh, it's... um. It's pretty interesting that there's landmass that other people will say is just an ice sheet that hasn't been claimed. I mean, we claim icebergs and we don't claim half a continent. Pretty bizarre, isn't it? Uh, but I wanted to mention that because uh, this is just indicating to those that need to hear it that we're on to them. And, and speaking of John Kerry, I was excited to see how, you know, Rudy Giuliani is bringing up the facts that he and Joe Biden together have gotten together, uh, you know, uh, with Burisma before this whole Burisma board appointment happened and everything. And it's something that I told you and wrote about months and months ago that, um, you know, they bailed out the Burisma dude from a money laundering case of $35 million, which they were involved in too. I mean, he has a big Rolodex. So he called them like, you know, everyone's just going to call the secretary of state of the United States and the vice president and say, bail me out of a money laundering charge in the United Kingdom. But whatever, <laughs> let's not digress. Right. So we're seeing a lot coming to the forefront. Uh, I also wanted to say CPAC. I watched um, Vice President Pence's speech. I'm going to tell you what I saw. And then when you guys see it, you tell me what you see. I'm eager to, to, to hear. But what I saw was that every single line in his face was visible and he looked like he was in anguish, but not of anguish like I'm in pain because I, you know, I stubbed my toe or, you know, I broke my hip. But he was in anguish, repenting, um, like feeling bad for himself for doing bad. And now he's doing good. And he's like, oh, my God, is this what good feels like? Oh, my gosh, I totally missed that train. Oh, my gosh, I was missing out. That's the feeling that resonated with me. I, I don't know how you see it. Now, um, on that note, um, just to continue on this, the stock market, so you guys understand just a little bit because I'm getting a lot of messages. Oh, it's crashing. Well, it's a good time to buy then because when you buy at 25 and it goes 30, you've made a lot of money. But you know, everyone's trying to say, oh, look, it's all this. It's Trump's fault. Look at that. It's the virus and da, da, da. Listen how it works. The markets in Japan and China have already closed. The markets in Europe have already closed. And, and the Nike index, you know, DAX, uh, you know, uh, LSE, all of those have closed. All right. And what happens is, is that that goes by on investments. So we're late to the party when our stock exchange rings the bell. Other people are closing theirs. So the way China's market closes sets the tone for how the rest of the markets that open in Russia and in the European Union open and go. So if those companies that are running on those, like on the DAX, you know, in Germany, and it's running and they've got heavy investments, which by the way, Deutsche Bank does, 
because they're the only ones that have an Asian fund. Um, you know, they're not going to be trading well because the Chinese market's not doing well. So it's like a cascade. So considering that those markets are going horribly and the dollar is still gaining power over the euro, by the way, on the exchange, it is not that bad news. So it's not bad news and, you know, people need to chill out, okay? And that's the way the market is. It rises, it falls, it goes all over the place because that's just how it happens. Some people have confidence, some people don't. You dump your money into, you know, a nation of communists, you know, you rely on how Xi Jinping works and how he operates. That's basically it. Um, so uh, before we enter into the global scene, okay, where we're going to talk about Turkey and Russia, because right now it's getting super duper hot. Turkish people are dead. Turkey opens its borders. It's 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 unleashing everything. It's like, you know what? It's like, you know that meme where the guy's sitting at the desk and just throws papers everywhere and he's like, F it. This is Erdogan right now. He's full-blown on Syria, full-blown in Greece, full-blown on immigration, opened up his northern border for land and people are fleeing from Syria. They're entering into Turkey to go straight to Greece. They're all on rafts, ending up on the shores of the islands and people can't stop them. But before we go there, let's talk a little bit about the presumptive Democrat nominee. I talked about it yesterday and how Pelosi really doesn't care who's going to be the nominee. The what they want is the House because whoever the nominee is, if it's Bernie Sanders, I'm telling you, he's already got the mark. Not going to make it. I'm just making a statement on that. On that, nobody cares. The Democrats don't even care right now who's president because the presidency doesn't count. Remember, it's the House. The House is what counts. She said it too. But listen, what does this mean? Are we, are we like there? Are we in socialism? And who better than my beloved Tucker to put it all into, you know, a great little neat package. He did amazing last night. Has by far the best chance in the whole Democratic Party of getting the nomination. So how should you feel about that? Well, if you're conservative, it's probably a little hard to take the whole thing seriously. For one thing, it seemed to come out of nowhere. Nobody expected. Nobody on TV warned you it was going to happen. For another thing, Sanders isn't half as gut level offensive as someone like, say, Elizabeth Warren. Unlike Warren, Sanders is obviously sincere about what he believes. He means it. He's got the right enemies, too. CNN appears to hate Bernie Sanders every bit as much as they hate Donald Trump. That's a plus. And like everyone else on the left, Sanders talks mostly about economics rather than Putin and non-binary bathrooms. And it's refreshing to hear someone focus on things that matter for once. Plus, it's not like Sanders is going to win the presidency. You keep hearing people on both sides saying there is no possibility, no chance in the world that Bernie Sanders will get elected president in November. And that sounds right, basically. The guy calls himself a socialist. Come on now. This is America. That's what we're telling ourselves. But are we absolutely sure that that's true? Well, ask yourself this. Who was the last candidate they told you on television could never, ever win? Oh, yeah, the current president. So ignore the people on TV. They're morons. They lack wisdom. They lack imagination. They're almost always wrong about everything. Of course, Bernie Sanders could win the general election. 
A year from now, we could be in the first months of a Bernie Sanders administration, and this would be a completely different country. What kind of country would it be? Well, tonight we're beginning a series on Bernie Sanders' America. We take Sanders seriously. We think you should take him seriously, too. So we're starting tonight with Sanders' views on immigration. It's a topic that affects this country on every level. For decades, Sanders had what would now be considered conservative views on immigration. He cared about higher wages for workers. That was his issue. Mass immigration lowers wages, so Sanders was against it. It's that simple. Then Sanders ran for president, and his views changed completely. Now Sanders is as radical on immigration as anyone else in the race. For example, he's come out against virtually all deportations. All. Watch. A moratorium on deportations for the 99% of the people is nothing to be cynical about. I think that is a significant step forward, and the undocumented community would be very proud of that. Ending 99% of deportations to please the undocumented community. You should know that that number includes violent felons. Sanders went on to say that only if an illegal alien commits a, quote, terrible, terrible crime, only then Sanders, quote, might consider deporting that person. Might. Now, Sanders wouldn't have to change any laws to do this. He could simply order federal authorities to stop deportations. He could do that day one. And that's his plan. Imagine what that would mean for this country. Foreign nationals commit crimes and we can't send them home. But Sanders wouldn't stop there. He's planning to unilaterally enact many pieces of the New Way Forward Act. That's the lunatic piece of legislation we've covered on the show extensively. It's designed to protect criminal aliens. That's the point of it. Sanders has pledged to end the ban on deported criminals reentering the United States. Why is that a good idea? He's pledged to eliminate expedited removal. That's the policy that allows obvious illegal aliens to be kicked out of the country swiftly. Over. He's promised to give discretion to immigration judges so they can protect any illegal aliens who somehow beat the odds and face actual deportation. Sanders has also vowed to end all workplace immigration raids so that big business will be able to rely on illegal immigrant labor with impunity. That's something he spent 30 years attacking. Now he's for it. And ending those immigration raids will be easy since Sanders is planning to abolish ICE. On day one, through an executive order, we will repeal all of Trump's racist immigration executive orders. We will end the ICE raids that are terrorizing communities all across America. Of course, businesses will have to import more of that illegal exploited labor that Sanders is suddenly for, because Sanders is also promising an amnesty for all current illegal aliens in this country. That's more than 22 million people. Of course, that's a move that will change the electoral balance in this country permanently, forever. And that's the real point, needless to say. Bringing those no illegal workers won't be difficult. Sanders plans to decriminalize illegal border crossings and abolish the border patrol. What is this? This is what radical open borders policy looks like. Sanders is arguing that everyone on earth has the effective right to come to this country anytime and receive the benefits of citizenship. In the Sanders administration, those benefits would include, but will not be limited to, free college, free health care, and full eligibility for food stamps and welfare. Now, we're not making this up for partisan reasons or to slam Bernie Sanders because suddenly it looks like he's going to be the nominee. This has been out there the whole time. No one's mentioning it, but it's all on tape. Sanders brags about all of it. Watch. I believe that health care is a human right. 
Senator, would you include the 11 million on the commensurate in absolutely, the plan? Absolutely, absolutely. When I talk about health care being a human right, last time I heard that undocumented people are human beings as well. We need the best educated population in the world. That means we're going to make our public colleges and universities tuition-free and open that to the undocumented as well. So why is anybody talking about this? People are jumping up and down on both sides on television because Sanders praised Fidel Castro, because Sanders is a self-described democratic socialist. That's bad. There's no doubt. But is it worse than what he believes on policy? It's not even close. You know what's way worse than anything he's ever said about Fidel Castro? His belief, his argument that anyone on the planet who sneaks into the United States should get free health care and free college tuition. That's the case he's making. So here's the obvious question. What would that do to our medical system and our universities? How long before they collapsed? Not long. These Listen, let's be honest. If we became a communist America, we would take over the world, but we would all be under communist rule. I mean, we would be the world. Um, and that's the vision that, you know, putting all these people and the ducks in a row uh, work out. So, you know, you know, what's funny is, is that you don't you don't see the Democrats calling him out on that. I don't see CNN calling him out on flip flopping on his ideology. And, um, you know, that means that they really don't care which idiot gets the nomination as long as the, there's just someone because the one thing they have is unity and that is what we lack because we believe in common sense we believe in good and we allow them to fester and perpetuate now after this short break we're going to see what I've been talking about with you since November 2018 is literally unfolding before your eyes you know, looks like Greece is taking back Constantinople sooner rather than later. And, um, you know, Turkey killed, Russia killed Turks, Turkey killed Russians. We're at full blown war. And guess what jihadis are circulating on the jihadi network right now? A picture of a Christian Orthodox priest giving rights to people that have been killed on the Russian and Syrian side. Pretty incredible. I'll see you all in just a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So we're going to get into the Russian uh, Air Force uh, destroying 10 vehicles that are Turkish uh, in uh, northern Syria. Uh, and this was actually just announced at four in the afternoon um, Damascus time. Uh, so this, there is a showdown going down. It started yesterday uh, there. And a lot of people be like, oh no, this means we're going to invoke article five and we're going to, you know, NATO is going to go after Russia and take Turkey sides. Not so fast. Because if you're a Tory says listener, I told you that the patrolling areas in Syria uh, by Idlib are done so by what? Americans and Russians together. You could just Google Google 
Sir Idlib, patrol Americans and Russians. They're on the road together patrolling. I just want you to pay attention to that. I also told you that we had a joint drill session, alarm session, fire drill session with the Greeks. I told you that. I also told you in November of 2018, Idlib is the center of everything. And you know, I don't remember who told me, but they told me that the Jewish prophecy had said something about Idlib. Now, Idlib historically has been the point of where the world changes, where big things go down. And if you look into history, do you know where the Noah's Ark was actually built? Yeah, Syria. Yeah, Idlib. So I'm just saying Idlib is very specific. I'm talking about geostrategy. You grab Idlib, you can control both, you know, northern part of Turkey, you know, the southern part of Turkey, meaning north of it. Uh, you get gain access to the African entrance through the Mediterranean because you can conquer it easier. Now, I told you things were heating up and a lot of people, well, Russia needs to stay out of it. No, they can't. They have a mutual defense agreement. And that's what we have. Remember October 9th, we did our episode where we had the most amazing president Pompeo on air talking with Greece, answering questions and how we have signed a mutual defense agreement with Greece. So, Let's say Turkey and Russia go at it. Greece is already going at it, right? With Turkey, right? So if Greece and Turkey go to war, how do you invoke Article 5 if you've got two NATO members at it? You don't. And how is the U.S. going to choose between their mutual defense agreement that is, you know, between Greece and the U.S. and Russia. Oh, and let's not forget the agreements that were signed between Greece, Cyprus, Egypt, Israel, and uh, Libya in respect to going after Turkey together. Oh, yeah, that stuff that happened last year in 2019. But my listeners knew this in 2018. It's all going down. And now the news are panicking. And just a few minutes ago, Erdogan uh, made a statement and said that if Russia doesn't pull out of Idlib, if Syria doesn't pull out of Idlib, which, by the way, Idlib is in Syria, then as of March 1st, they are at war. And you know what March 1st is? Hmm. It's the beginning of the Orthodox Christian Lent. Pretty interesting brink of a major military conflict as tensions escalate in the war-torn country. At least 33 Turkish troops were killed in a Syrian airstrike yesterday. It's the latest escalation of violence that we're seeing in the Idlib region near the Turkish-Syria border. Idlib is the last rebel stronghold in Syria. It's where anti-regime forces and innocent people are holed up trying to defend their homes from Russia-backed airstrikes and ground attacks.
So NATO held an emergency meeting earlier. The U.S. and international community have urged restraint as the escalating violence forces hundreds of thousands of people to flee the region. Senator Lindsey Graham spoke about the crisis, calling on President Trump to help protect innocent civilians. Very worried about what's going on in Syria. The world is ignoring one of the great humanitarian crises of the uh, 21st century. We're all sitting on the sidelines as people in Italy get slaughtered. I would urge the president to up his game, to declare a no-fly zone, to protect the women and children of Italy from uh, being massacred. The Russians and the Assad regime need to be held accountable by the international community. The United Nations says more than 900,000 people have fled the violence in Idlib since December, but it's unclear how exactly the U.S. will respond. CBS News foreign correspondent Holly Williams is following the latest from London. Uh, Holly, you've been covering Syria ever since uh, war first broke out there. What are you hearing is the latest from the Turkish-Syrian border? And why have the clashes escalated to this point where Turkey and Russia appear to be on the brink of a major conflict? Yeah, well, I mean, Idlib is a part of Syria that is steeped in blood. Uh, airstrikes by the Syrian regime, by the by Russia, targeting civilians, hitting markets, uh, hitting hospitals have been going on for years. But that said, this is a serious escalation because it involves outside countries. It involves uh, outside powers. And the very clear risk here is that it will evolve into an all-out conflict uh, between Turkey and the Syrian regime, perhaps also drawing in Russia... Uh, which is a close ally of the Syrian regime. I just want to say, so you know how everyone's like, oh, Russia, you trust Russia. Let me tell you, the ISIS network that lives freely on Discord and on Telegram and on Twitter just showed pictures confirming airstrikes on the TSK convoy in Idlib. Um, and there's visual confirmation. I will retweet those out. Um and guess who claimed responsibility? Kalata Mudik. That, that specific group is a terror group, right? The one that supposedly Turkey supposedly fighting, right? That's working on behalf of Turkey. So here we have Turkey going in front of the front lines, like past where, you know, the mitigation zone is. And Syria, of course, because Idlib is in Syria and Assad is the president of Syria, like it or not, none of their business. He's the president. Turkey shouldn't be in there. He has his people that are standing there to keep peace and keep Motorway 4 going, which, by the way, Motorway 4 is patrolled by Russia in the United States together so what's really really what's really really dumb is that um the russians are being struck by the jihadis that are working for the turks which is so bizarre it is completely bizarre and erdogan's like yeah we're just taking out uh you know um uh, what is it assad's regime and it's like you how do you know who's uh, you know his regime so just earlier today um just a little uh earlier well it was actually last week that the ambassador of russia had said you know to turkey um he said no one can turn away the syrian army that's gaining ground you're not allowed to because it's syrian and so the question was what's the purpose of you having observation stations stations um you know they're supposed to be they're they're now behind front lines where the war between syrians and jihadis are right he clearly made that statement
He said, what is going on? And then he also said, you know, Turkish stations are, are shelling the Syrian army and, you know, they're refortifying their positions. Why? You know, how are you going to separate the radicals from the moderate opposition in Idlib, it, you know, to know which one is Assad's army that's just hanging out there because it's their land and which one are the jihadis? You can't because here's the thing. What is the problem when you weaponize a religion? mercenaries so you have mercenaries so you go to able-bided young men you're like yo are you fighting for Assad? here's ten dollars come fight with us ten dollars is a lot over there right now so you know back to back it up russian officers have died and then turkish soldiers russia has never attacked until officers have been killed not soldiers Officers have been killed and Turkey has not removed radicals. In fact, they're employing them and weaponizing them. And not only that, they're increasing this um, Russian jihad. Right. And so that started with the whole Aleppo crisis when Russia was like, yo, you're the one Turkey that gave the sarin gas. And again, I urge you to watch Millie Weaver's video where they talk about the gas attack in Syria, where you're going to see that it, they even reported, oh, it went from Iran and then it went there. And then from Turkey, it went into the, you know, the, the, the bad people, ISIS's hands, you know, no, no, <laughs> Turkey did it. So that's when they they shot down a Russian jet. Do you remember? And then after that, what happened? The Russian ambassador was what? Assassinated. Do you remember that? Yeah, because that all happened. But see, people don't get the real bare bones news. Uh, they don't seem to understand exactly what's going on. This is war and it's been brewing for a while. Um Today, um, in um, Al Qaeda's, uh, you know, uh, little fort, uh, the um, the Russians actually um, found a dozen Turkish-made 122 millimeter rockets in southeast Idlib. Turkish rockets in the hands of Al Qaeda? Are you kidding? And what is going to be our position? What are we going to say? Now, um, this is this is getting really, really heated, really, really fast. And it's coming faster than one would expect. Um, and what Erdogan has done to pressure Europe, because Europe hasn't responded to just give him Syria that he wants, because he's like, just give it to me. I want it. You know, and they've let him like toy around in the Mediterranean because Europe doesn't, you know, Europe, NATO is Canada, the United States and, uh, you know, some European nations. It's all Europe. Greece is part of NATO and they pay their fair share. Turkey doesn't all of it. You know, they owe. But anyway, but Turkey is the second largest army of NATO next to the U.S. They're a big force to be reckoned with. So if the U.S. ever wants to come down hard on, you know, the socialist, communist, globalist cabal of the EU council, they're going to need an army and they don't have one. All they have is nuke weapons up in space and hiding them in places like the Falkland Islands in secret places. But I digress. What they don't want to do is burn that bridge with Turkey right away in case they need to activate them to 
help them when it all comes down to it and there's the big flush. So now Turkey's upset. So Turkey says, oh yeah, you want to play? All right, border's open. And today Erdogan opens the border with Europe. He's like, go. Dozens of Turkish troops dead. The wounded taken back to Turkey for treatment. As a result of the airstrikes, 33 soldiers are martyred. None of our wounded soldiers who are being treated in hospital are in critical condition. May our martyrs rest in peace. I wish speedy recovery for our wounded soldiers and I express my condolences to our nation. Turkey's response was swift. Turkish officials released footage showing the retaliatory strikes, saying they have fired on all known Syrian government targets. And near the Turkish border with Greece, refugees are waiting at the border to cross into Europe. Turkish officials say they will open the border to millions of Syrian refugees who want to go to Europe, reversing a pledge Turkey made to the European Union in 2016. The international community has condemned the war's ongoing humanitarian impact. What is happening in northwest Syria, they said, is beyond imagination. It is not humanly tolerable. They told me of children so traumatized they no longer speak. Turkey has given Syria an end-of-the-month ultimatum to retreat. With Syria and its ally Russia refusing to back down, a humanitarian ceasefire may prove elusive. Let's bring in DW correspondent Yulia Han for more on the story. She's following it all from Istanbul. Hi, Yulia. Good to see you. Uh, this is a significant escalation. Can you bring us up to date on the latest that you're hearing from the Turkish side? Well, yes, indeed. This is a major relation in this uh, direct conflict between Turkish and Russian-backed Syrian forces there in Idlib. We have seen of uh, clashes in recent weeks, uh, but that airstrike, according to what we understand, has caused the largest death toll for Turkey in a single day since it first intervened in Syria four years ago. Now, Turkey has been hitting Syrian regime positions in Idlib in the past hours. That's according to the presidential palace in Ankara. It comes after a national security meeting was held in Ankara, chaired by President Erdogan himself. Um, so no signs of uh, backing down here from Ankara. And uh, let me remind you, President Erdogan has also given Damascus a deadline. He wants the Syrian regime forces to withdraw to previously agreed ceasefire lines by the end of the month, which is uh, essentially today or tomorrow. Considering the situation on the ground, this is highly unlikely. So we might see more confrontation, more escalation in the days to come. We know that Turkey is a member of NATO. NATO says it's holding an emergency session today. I mean, what, uh, what role do you think that this aspect of the story will play? 
Well, this has definitely become a major issue for NATO. The alliance was quick to condemn this deadly airstrike. And as you mentioned, they are holding an emergency meeting at Turkey's request today. Uh, Turkey wants support from its Western allies. It wants them to understand that what's happening in Syria right now is not just a Turkish problem, a Turkish issue. And uh, Turkish officials will probably press for a so-called no-fly zone in Syria to protect the lives of hundreds of thousands of uh, people who have been displaced there during uh, the clashes. Now, uh, interestingly, the Turkish uh, government so far avoids blaming this airstrike yesterday on uh, Russia. It blames uh, solely the Assad regime, although it is widely known and understood that the Syrian regime is carrying out these attacks with crucial support from Russia. Russia controls the airspace over Syria, over Idlib. So this is essentially, yes, a confrontation between Ankara and Moscow. Wow. Okay. Did you hear that? Wow. Gaslighting much? Let's get this straight. If Greece goes to war and Greece doesn't have resources against Turkey, we have a mutual defense agreement. What does that mean? That means we fight on behalf of Greece. You get it? So now what they're trying to say is, oh, this isn't about Syria. Syria is defending Idlib. That's theirs. And Turkey is invading. And Russia is fighting on behalf of Syria because they have a what? Oh, a mutual defense agreement. And now the war is really between Moscow and Ankara. No, it's not. Moscow is doing what we would be doing for those nations that we have a mutual defense agreement with. They are trying to skew the facts here. Listen to it. With the potential of turning into an open conflict between NATO and Russia as well. Yulia, you mentioned the hundreds of thousands of people fleeing the fighting. They're heading towards the Turkish border. What will happen to them? Well, by all accounts, what's uh, happening there inside Idlib is a humanitarian nightmare. We're getting reports of children freezing to death because families have to sleep outside in the open because there is just not enough space and nowhere for them to go. So far, Turkey has not opened its borders to these refugees currently stuck inside Idlib. But what's interesting is that uh, a spokesperson of uh, President Erdogan's ruling AKP said yesterday that Turkey was no longer able to stop the four million refugees currently residing inside Turkey from trying to reach Europe. And that's basically reiterating a long-standing threat by the president to open the gates to Europe. And uh, we've seen images here on Turkish television of, uh, of people, of refugees, Syrians and other nationalities gathering at uh, Turkey's land border with uh, Greece and Bulgaria. We've uh, heard reports of people leaving Istanbul in uh, buses and, of course, um, this is uh, images. These are uh, problems uh, that, that potentially increase pressure on Europe as well to act and to do something in this crisis. DW's Julia Han reporting from Istanbul. Thank you. So what do you guys make of that? So at the same time that they're going out full out blown war with, you know, Syria, um, you know, Turkey is now requesting uh, U.S. Patriot missile system to stop Russia and Idlib. So wait a minute. Remember, didn't they want to buy the S-400s from Russia? Remember the right now they're asking us to give them Patriot missile systems so they can go against Russia. 
are you getting this? So it's requesting us to provide them. Uh, That actually came out of Lebanon um, just a few hours ago that they've asked the United States, um, a NATO ally, to deploy two Patriot missile systems along its southern border with Syria. And that was something Bloomberg actually had reported. According to Bloomberg, the request was made by Turkey to join uh, uh, Turkey to the U.S. envoy to Syria, James Jeffrey, last week. However, they have yet to receive an answer from Washington. Um, So if the Patriot uh, system was deployed in uh, the province, Turkey can deploy its fighter jets to Syria and, you know, kind of take it over. Now, I have already retweeted a bunch of photos so you guys can see what's going on. You know, what's really insane is Turkey's getting the S-400s from Russia. And now they are, you know, uh, you know, and Russia is like kind of moving over. It's just so weird because Turkey says that they want to bomb this, the Al-Qaeda, but they're bombing Syria, the Syrians instead. Uh, you know, now Turkey is like... You know, they're literally technically at war right now. Turkey and Syria are at war. And unfortunately, this means that Russia and Turkey are where they are technically at war. We have war and no one is talking about it. You know, the Russian military, the Air Force, just destroyed 10 vehicles in one go. And I'm like, go Russia. Because at the end of the day, they found that they're funding Al-Qaeda and Musik. I mean, they're funding all of them and they're bombing everywhere and no one is talking about it. And then at the same time, just to cause panic, Turkey's like, yep, open the borders. And now they have thousands of people washing up at the shores of Greece. And Greece is like, what's going on? And Greece is like, what are you doing? You know, Poland comes out saying, you come near our border, you get shot. Greeks are like, man, can we do that? Because they would like nothing more. But what do you do when you have a boat with 20 able-bodied men and five kids and two women? You don't shoot them all or let it sink. What do you do? You're only human. That's the thing. First things first, we're at war right now. This is war. And Article 5 can't be invoked since Greece will jump in. If Greece lines itself with Turkey, it's lost the game. So right now we have that agreement that was signed between Cyprus, Israel, uh, Greece, uh, Egypt. We even had Jordan chime in and Lebanon. So we need to make sure that everyone's on the same page when it comes to how the response is. President Trump cannot respond. We now have a mutual defense agreement with Greece. If Greece jumps in, it's game over for Turkey. They're done. They're dust. Who's going to come to save them? Iran? Iran's busy with the coronavirus. They're so busy with the coronavirus that we're sending them aid. Right. Because, you know, it's a more novel flu. And, you know, if you don't have the conditions to, you know, have you don't have the economy to import foods and the right medicines and you have shortages of just simple things like saline water, it's an issue. So right now, it's really important that these things get together. Um, I, I wanted people to know that um, for China, Right. If people wanted to come from China, the only nations they have to cross to get to Europe is to go through Turkey, Georgia or Russia. I just want to make that clear. Okay, I just want to make that clear. Hmm. 
just think about it for a second. So this weekend, just watch things evolve because we we have not given them a response and Turkey has been asking for a response for over a week. They knew this was coming. And the deadline, tomorrow. If Russia's not out, which it's not going to be out because it's got a mutual defense agreement and Idlib is Syria's, this is full blown out war, you guys. This is it. This is where it all starts. This is where the cascade starts. This is where the games of thrones begin and you watch it because it's game over now they they've been caught we already know they're funding terrorists they're funding al-qaeda to supposedly help them get rid of the syrians why are you getting the syrians you know could you imagine someone's like yeah man you know france comes in and it's like yep we're 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 standing here as a fort to guard oregon from you and it's like but Oregon is American. Yeah, we don't really care. And if you come near, we're going to blow you up. And it's like, wait, stop one second. Oregon is American. Yeah, so we're just going to pay some jihadis to come kill you because you're not listening to us. And you're like, wait a minute. But it's our city, our state. What are you doing? This is exactly the situation in Syria right now with Idlib. Assad's the president, like it or not. That's his city, and they're telling him he needs to get out. And so he's activated the mutual defense agreement with Russia, and Russia is not playing around. They are technically at war. So the two leaders will be meeting tonight and probably, and probably tomorrow morning we're going to get more. You know, Russia is going to come down from the north and the south. God bless. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. See you on Monday.